Consider these two thoughts from Revelation 21. The one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. And then to the thirsty, I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I've long affirmed because of Jesus' death and resurrection that God was in the business of making all things new and that one day they will be new and affirming the, the promise to the one who thirsts that eternal life will be given as a gift. But there are times when truths shove their way from your head into your heart. For me, the year 2002 was such a year. That was a hard, it was a hard year. Sherry's father died. Her dog died. Then my father, and I've talked about how in his 90s he finally trusted Christ. In his early 90s, my father died. That's death number three. And then I've told you about my favorite dog, Ty Cobb, the obedience champion. Not long after my father died, my dog Ty Cobb died. And that was a death that emotionally put me over the edge. I soldiered through the other deaths because as sad as they were, I just knew I needed to soldier on. But Ty, Ty Cobb, he had, in his old age, he had lost, he couldn't see, he was incontinent, he, he wound up in the bottom of our pool. And I had, to, I had to dive in and pull him out. And I, I just collapsed on the side of the pool, just weeping uncontrollably over this dog that I loved, whose death was the summation of just too, too many deaths. And I, I just found myself going, Lord, I hate this. This is just wrong. Death is not right. The making new of all things and the promise that there is eternal life to those who thirst took on a, a new meaning. And oddly, I didn't find myself moving further away from the faith and doubt and skepticism, but for some reason that I don't even know how to explain, I found myself drawing closer and looking at a passage like this one. I, I find myself grateful that Scripture acknowledges 
the pain points in our lives and says, you look at them. You acknowledge them for what they are because that is what I have come to set right. And this Easter season, we really need, I think, to hold on to these in hope. And so, I want to offer three thoughts, um, picking up on the on the the the, the promise that to those to the one who thirsts will come eternal life. First, the text speaks briefly to what it is that we thirst for. Three things here. Verse one of chapter 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. The first thing that we thirst for is that, that the flux of the sea would give way to solid ground. Israelites were, they were not a seafaring people. The Philistines had the coast of the Mediterranean, and the Israelites lived inland. For an Israelite, the worst thing that you could imagine was getting out on a boat, and if not having a storm drown you, falling in the water and getting eaten by a big fish like Jonah was. They were a land-based people, and so the sea represented chaos. It represented life being out of control. And so one of the promises here in Revelation 21 with the new heavens and the new earth is that there would be no more sea. That's a metaphor for all that is unstable, all that is in flux will settle out and we will stand on solid ground. A second thing to thirst for is the absence of God, the feeling that he's not there giving way to his presence. Listen to verse 3. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. For those of us who claim to know or feel like we know God intimately, there is still a profound sense of absence. Waking up in the middle of the night with the terrors and the arrows of condemnation and fear and a loneliness that no other human being can provide, just attacking. And it's just going to be that way until he comes. As he came in the flesh, so he will come again. The Lord Jesus Christ in his new and resurrection flesh, welcoming us in our new and resurrection flesh. But until then, we just know that we're not home. And sometimes the, the, absence, of, the absence of God that we feel through the, oh, the absence of a loved one, the rejection that we feel rightly or wrongly from other people is just going to be crippling. It's, there's just going to be an ache way down in the depths of who we are. And so we thirst 
We thirst for the flux and the chaos to give away to stability. We thirst for the sense of absence and loneliness to give way to a sense of fellowship and being with God and having God with us. And then, and then verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. We long rightly for death to be gone. For there to be no more reason for tears. No reason to stand at gravesides and mourn. No reason to cry over rejection from someone else, failed aspirations and hopes, broken limbs. Just the pain of life, a longing and a thirst for all that to give way to life. So, the Easter season, in the light of what we know that God has done to fix everything, it's a good time to acknowledge the thirst and the ache. But then, then secondly, we need to thirst because in our heart of hearts, we know that only God can satisfy the thirst. Notice in verse 2 how the holy city, the new Jerusalem, comes down out of heaven from God. It has to come down to us. We are not going to build the city of God. We are not going to climb a stairway to God. Our best efforts are not going to make the kingdom of God be. We can dream it, but only He can make it happen. That doesn't mean don't dream it and especially with graduates in the room, it doesn't mean don't dream it. It doesn't mean don't throw all that you have into making the world a better place, but it does temper the dream, and it does give a certain measure and a willingness to accept some success and not demand everything be fixed because it's going to take God to bring that city to us. The bride, it will take the Lord to prepare and adorn his bride as we cannot. Verse 2. I saw the holy city come down prepared. It's a passive verb. As a bride, a stubbornly female image for God's people, adorned, made lovely. It's the word that we get cosmetology from. Adorned for her husband. It is my passion in life to adorn the church as best I can. But I know that my best efforts are, are colored by my own mixed motives and my, not just my finitude, but my, what I just can't do what needs to get done. And 
some things you think you're doing the right thing and it turns out you're doing the wrong thing. It is the Lord Jesus. It is the Lord Jesus who can make his bride beautiful. And we believe because he raised, because the Father raised Jesus from the dead that he will do it. And the third thing, the third reason that only God can do it in this text is the water, verse 6, it's a gift. I'm called to be thirsty and to come and ask, but it's he who gives the water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. So it's okay to be thirsty. In fact, it's good to be thirsty because in being thirsty, we acknowledge that we're not going to build the city. We're not going to make the bride perfect. And we can't satisfy our own thirst. He's got to do it. But in the meantime, three, we are all called. Whether we're graduating today, whether we graduated a long time ago, whether we, graduation just never happened. We're all called to a certain place in life to do what we can to live in the reality of the God who says it is finished and I will make it all new one day. And I started autobiographically. I'll finish autobiographically. Sorry about that. My life is pretty much what I have to offer to you. Here's how I express the thirst. And I trust that the Lord between you and, between you and him, you can work it out for yourself. Here's how I express the thirst. Here's how I rise from my tears over the, over the four deaths of 2002 and protest and revolt against death itself and the flux and the sense of absence and the tears. They're in our other three scriptures today. Psalm 100. I, I feel myself called to contribute to the revolt of joyful worship. Psalm 100, verse 1, be joyful in the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with a song. One of the ways that we say chaos doesn't win, death and tears don't win, starvation doesn't win, is that we sing the reality of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, from John 13, where the foot-washing Savior turns to his disciples and says, what I've done for you, do for one another. How is the world going to know that you're for real when the world sees you loving one another? And so I feel that what the Lord has called me to do in this season of my life is to work as hard as I can to help you love one another. There is no more powerful message of the truth of who Jesus is than the reality of that his love in you. So no matter where your gifts take you, God gave you your gift so that you can love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Your neighbor is yourself, and then especially your brothers and sisters in the Lord. That is how the invisible God becomes visible. And three, the way that I feel called to express the thirst and the revolt against death 
and sin and tears and sadness. It's to do what Peter did in Acts chapter 11. God told him to do one simple but hard thing. Go where you're not really sure the people are clean. Go to the people that you're not really sure will hear and understand. Go to the people that your people have been told not to hang out with all of your life. Go and tell them the good news. Go and tell everybody without making a distinction. Jesus died and rose to make all things new. But to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we could ask or even think to ask, to him be the glory in Christ Jesus and in the church now and forever. Amen.